assume that there's no one out there that's going to be interested in you. If you, unless you've lived on a rock and have absolutely nothing of value, then probably not. Right. But if you already know there's something in you you need to share, it's because you've been through some stuff or you have some wisdom that you know you can pass on to somebody. So for every ear, for every eye, there's somebody out there to do it. And the second thing I tell people is, what if only one person reads your book, mm-hmm. but it changes their life? Right. Listening to Stability the Podcast, hosted by Hassan Ashraf. My name is Jay Maney, and I'm the founder and CEO of two organizations. One is Survive to Thrive Enterprise, and the other one is DJ Maney. And essentially, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 13 years old. I grew up in New York in Spanish Harlem, a place called El Barrio, which is uh, sort of nestled in between Midtown Manhattan and Upper Manhattan. Uh, and uh, so I grew up there my whole life, and I was uh, really started an entrepreneurial career when I was 13 years old, out of necessity, and that opened up a lot of opportunities for me to really realize throughout the course of my life who I was and the things that I was gifted to do. And here we are, you know, just a few years later since I was 13. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I don't think we grew up after 16. I think 16 is the age that we all stay at. Listen, I agree with you. I agree with you. Internally young, there's there's no age to not hustle, you know? There's always an age. At any age, you can just start hustling and making and thriving towards your dreams that you did not, didn't see a few years ago that you're trying to achieve, right? You're absolutely correct. You're never too old to thrive. Absolutely. Like my mom just went back to school and she's like, she's having a great time and she she loves it. She's like, I'm I feel like I'm 20 again. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like there's no there's no stopping you. Follow your dreams. Like that's that's what I've learned. That's what I've grown up with. And that's what I hope to teach my kids and people around me. Well, listen, uh, at the end of the day, age is a number, right? You've heard of that phrase? Right. Age is just a number. And it's whatever you tell yourself in your head that you're able to do or not do, you're probably going to live it out. So kudos to your mom for going back to school. Yeah, it's tough, especially getting older and going back if you haven't gone back in like 20 years. Um, so let's start with uh, what's the first thing, as, as you said, a 13-year-old trying to grow up and hustling to try to make money because out of necessity, right? What was your childhood like? It sounds very a lot harder than what my childhood would have been like a little bit. Well, it was. And to, to start things off, uh, I was adopted. Uh, I'm actually a twin. So there's another guy in New York. Right now I'm in Dallas, but there's yeah. another guy in New York who looks just like me, doesn't <laughs> have any hair. And uh, so if you happen to see him or online, you would know right away, okay, that's yeah. Jay's brother. His name is Joe. But my, my parents uh, didn't have a whole lot. They're Puerto Rican. We're coming from a Puerto Rican home. And my parents, when they moved here in the 60s, they came straight from Puerto Rico, didn't know a lick of English. So my mother worked in a factory. My father had three jobs. And all of a sudden, they decided they want to have children. My mother couldn't have children. She already had three miscarriages. So at that point, they decided to adopt. And uh, back then, it was easier to adopt in the 60s. So you did was fill out a piece of paper and show up and pick up some kids. (laughs) (laughs) Different ballgame today. Yeah. So when she got the phone call, they said, hey, you're next on the list. Come on down and pick up your kid. And when they got down there, they said, listen, here's the deal. There's two. And uh, so economically, they couldn't afford um, two kids. Two kids, but they couldn't 
they could never fathom separating two brothers. Right. So, you know, they brought home two kids. My mother had to stop working. My father picked up a fourth job. So it was very economically challenging. It was, uh, you know, we, we had oh. just enough. Um, the, the neighborhood, you could certainly find ways to make money in that neighborhood, all of them illegally. Yeah. Um, it's Spanish Harlem right? in the 70s, which is when I grew up. Yeah. But at 13 years old, something interesting happened to us. We lived right across the street, well, almost across the street from Central Park. I don't know if you've heard of Central Park. Oh, Central Park. Yeah, it's in every movie you watch in right. New York. It's the <laughs> beauty right. of New York. Yeah. That's right. So we lived on the north end of Central Park, which, again, bordered Upper Manhattan, and then right when you get into Spanish Harlem. So we lived in the Spanish Harlem northern part of the park right. with tons of baseball fields. So me and my brother used to go on Saturdays and Sundays to the baseball parks pick up the bottles and pick up the cans and trade them in for a nickel. I don't know if you could do that in Canada. Ah, uh, you can actually. Uh, so they do that with beer beer, beer cans and uh, recycling. So if you take it to the recycling thing, you can get five cents, five cents uh, uh, thing. So same, same scenario in New York. Yeah. So we would collect those bottles and cans every weekend. And that's how we were able to afford the, the Nike sneakers and the Adidas and all the yeah. cool sneakers that the kids were wearing that we couldn't afford. We ended up going out and picking up cans. So that really is what started in us and me, this entrepreneurial spirit right. that just kept developing up until today. Uh, so as a, as a, oh, how old were you when you, uh, when you, when you were adopted? Three days old. Oh, wow. So you guys were just brand new babies right out of the womb. Right out of the womb, oh, man. That's... We still had we still had the stains on us. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> right out of the womb, man. Right out and of I as a as a person growing up uh, 20 years old, especially with adoption and all this stuff, right? Uh I I think as a person who's been adopted, like you were adopted as a kid, right? I think a lot of this conversation that I have with my fellow, uh, a lot of my fellow students and people my own age these days is because a lot of people don't want to have kids, right? There's a lot of things kids, people don't want to have kids, but the story of adoption comes in, right? What is your perspective? Like as you were adopted and you went through that thing, you think people should adopt, right? Because there's so many, because I believe adoption is such a great thing that I wish in the future, I would want to adopt a kid too, because give them the opportunities that they never had, right? So what would, what's your kind of perspective on that as you've been through that process? Listen, I'll be honest with you. One of the things that I have said myself for the last 20 years was before I had kids of my own, that I was always going to adopt, adopt. I was going to give back. Yeah. But adoption today is very difficult, right. very costly, and you're handcuffed, so it's challenging. So I've had a lot of my friends who've adopted kids. Right. Sometimes they waited up to two, two and a half years. Wow. And uh, tons of money, tons of forms, and understandably so, you gotta protect the kids. But quite frankly, it, that's the handicap to somebody adopting. Now, if somebody wants to, if they can have children, exactly. or they want to they want to give somebody a, a baby a home, yeah, then, Adoption is great because statistics show that kids that don't get adopted, they're at a greater risk of, you know, having a, a, a very challenging life and causing some trouble. Right. Uh, so as you grow up and you're past 13, well, 13 for life, but what's your next, what's your big, what's your big move after you've finally been able to do so? What's your next move in entrepreneurship? Like after 13, like what was, where did you say like, wow, this is like the biggest move I made to, in my life at the start. Like, what was that? 
I, I went straight for my own business. I had my own personal training company. Right. Um, I knew that I was never going to have a job. I, I'm certifiably unemployable. <laughs> no one would ever hire me. I just, yeah. I just can't do it. Um, so I knew early on when I was 18, 19 that I can go get a job. I went to college. So I was in college. Yeah. But I wanted to continue doing something entrepreneurially. So I started my own personal fitness company. And then that led into my own entertainment company. I had an entertainment company for about 10 years. Wow. Um, very interesting entertainment. That's for yeah. another show. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was entertainment. Yeah. It was entertainment. So uh, so I did that. In the middle of that, I did film. I was an off-Broadway actor. I did. I appeared on a few films in Hollywood. What um, kind of films? Well, I, this is going way back to the uh, to the '90s. Now yeah. I did Car- Carlito's Way with Al Pacino and John Cusack. Oh, actually, John Cusack was in the City Hall, also with yeah. Al Pacino. Uh, I did a film with Will Smith back when he got started in Kiefer Sutherland, um, not Kiefer Sutherland, the, uh, his father yeah. in Six Degrees of Separation. I did that film with them. Wow. I did a boxing commercial with uh, Vander Holyfield. Uh, when he was champ, it was yeah. the Coke is it campaign. Remember the Coke? I don't know if you remember that, buddy. That's a little past my prime. That's a little past your time, brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, I mean, this was part of my entrepreneurial right. life. And you know, one thing that I continued to realize as I was living that life was I was not cut out to have a nine to five. I was not cut out for that normal traditional lifestyle. That just wasn't who I was ever gonna be. Right. So let's talk about this fitness. Is it this fitness uh startup that you had was your big that was your first big break for yourself, right? That was your big uh, uh, organization that you built for yourself. How how did you go about starting it? How did you come up with the idea? Like, mm-hmm. what was what was like that going through your like? I'm 19 right now. Like, what was that going through your head when you were 19, 18 years old? Well, you know that that's a great question, and there's probably a lot of folks out there that are looking at what do I what do I where do I start if I want to have my own little business or something. Mm-hmm. When I Stop doing the bottles and cans. I looked at things that people need. So one of the ways you can find if you want to pursue a particular area or not is do your homework. Find out what is it that people need. They have to have it. You don't have to convince them to get it. They have to have it. You're just going to provide another option, hopefully a good one. Right. So when I got done with the bottles and cans, I knew that people in in, the, in uh, New York, they needed to get their, in the, in the U.S., you need to get your taxes done. So I started a little personal tax return business mm-hmm. that went well. And I was at 16. I taught myself how to do taxes. And then I said to myself, okay, I don't want to do taxes anymore. What else do people need to do? And because I was in pretty good shape, people were always asking me about losing weight and getting in shape. I said, you know what? People need to stay healthy. So why not get a business started with personal fitness? And because I kept myself in good shape, I automatically had the credibility to talk about staying in shape. Right. Okay. Um, and that was fun because it gave me a chance to go out there and, and perfect my craft of solicitation, of persuasion. You got to sometimes right. persuade people in sales. But I did that well enough that I had that personal training business. And I, I like the fact that I can control my own income mm-hmm. at a job. You, you could work as however hard you're told to work. And you know that for the most part, your income is always going to stay the same. It's going to be what the contract says. Correct. You're not going to make more than that. That's right. You can work another 25 hours a week. You're only going to get paid what the contract says. Right. 
I knew that in my own business and personal training, if I sold more clients, I'd make more money. Right. The more I gave, the more I would receive. And I love that because there's no ceiling on that lifestyle. There's no limit. You can make unlimited money. And it, it not even just money, it's unlimited kind of like you're working at your own pace. You can work faster. You can work slower. And your outcome will show the amount of work that you're putting in. Not like when you're working at a nine to five job, you could be the hardest working person in that office, but you're going to make the same amount of money as the laziest person in that office. That's right. And at the end <laughs> of the day, right. it doesn't, it, or it just doesn't, it doesn't motivate you enough to continue doing what you enjoy. Right. So as a, as a person, so me and my brother, we're, we're always continuously thinking of ideas. Like we're, he's 18, I'm 19, and we're always wanting to start up our own company, right? And so a lot of the things that come down to it in the nitty gritty is the fact that, oh, how do we go about promoting it? So how did you go, like you said, you were already fit, you were already showing that your fitness program worked and stuff like that. Like you were the pinnacle of your own company. Like you were the image of your company. How did you go about promoting your other businesses? Like your entertainment business, for example. How did you go about promoting your entertainment business? That's a great question. So let me give you a little bit of secret that I've, uh, I've learned. When you are promoting a business, let's say you have a good idea, you have a good business. Great, wonderful doesn't do you any good if nobody knows about it. Exactly. Right? You could have the cure for cancer, but if nobody knows about it, that's not going to do any good. So eventually, once you have a good service or something you believe in, the question is, how do I get people out there to know? Well, there's only two ways to do that. You're either going to talk to people or present to people that you don't know. Right. Or you're going to talk to people that you do know. So here's where people get a little bit, new business owners have a problem. They say to themselves, well, you know, I got this new business, this new product, this new service, but I don't want to talk to the people I know because I don't want to make them uncomfortable. If they don't want to buy, they don't want to endorse me. They don't want to encourage me. I don't want to make them uncomfortable, ruffle any feathers. And that's fine. The problem is it's less expensive. There's no cost, financial cost, when you work with the people that you know. So if you're going to then pivot to the people that you don't know to promote your service because they don't know you, they don't know who you are. That's going to cost a lot of money. You better have a big budget of advertising to do all sorts of advertising to talk to the people that you don't even know. They don't even know who you are. They don't even like you. Yeah. So what I did was I said, let me start with the people I know because people that I know, hopefully they like me, they trust me, they believe in me, they'll support me, they'll endorse me and they'll become my ambassadors. Right. If I don't have a big budget for promotion and marketing, then I better have a lot of ambassadors. So I went to every, my tax business, my entertainment business. I went to the people that I knew. And I said, hey, this is what I'm doing. And once they found value, I said, would you mind just becoming my ambassador? Let other people know what I'm doing. Get the word out for me. Tell a few people. Uh, and back then there was no, no real websites per yeah. se, but I had flyers and things that you could do to get the word out through a grassroots. Now by them doing that, guess what eventually happened? I got to the people that I didn't know because they told those people that I didn't know about my service. Does it take longer? Absolutely. But it didn't take me any money because I didn't have any money. Exactly. I had relationships that believed in me and were willing to support me. And that hasn't changed at all. 
that still exists today. And people can, if you're a good person and people like you and trust you and believe in you, they'll support you. They'll become your ambassadors. Okay. So as a, as a person who's like started up, like, for example, this podcast, right? For me, I don't have money to advertise. Like I don't have money to do anything like that. So you're right. Like I had to go to my friends and be like, Hey, you know what? I post on social media here and post on here. Oh, here's my question. You know how you're talking about, and you've you've done entrepreneur businesses throughout the f- a few decades, right now. Uh, I want to know: is it been easier to do it now on through social media platforms and get your word out there, or was it easier? And were you did you have more loyal customers when you did it back in the day? You know, loyal customers was easier back then, right? Because the internet is powerful, social media is powerful, and it's great. However, it's a saturated space. Mm-hmm. Let's you know talk about podcasting. Oh. Uh, forget about it, right? <laughs> Millions of podcasts out there. Anybody can can do a podcast. Yeah. And the problem is because it's so available for people to do. You have podcasts that are terrible, right? They're just terrible. So now the public gets podcast tired. They get podcast weary yeah. because anybody can go up there and do it. So social media, it's great, but everybody's using those platforms to promote their business. So you have to use it. It's what you have available. But back then it was face to face. It was, you know, a a conversation with someone where they could really see your honesty and they could really get a chance to to hear your heart and they liked you and they believed in you. Can't do that on social media today. It was like a barber back in the day. If you're if you're finding someone who's like good, it was your barber. Like you, everyone that you made a connection was as good as your barber is now. You right. trust them on that level, right? Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So in 2012, you released your first book and became an author. Can you explain to us like what kind of what kind of was what was going through your head when you were writing this book, and what made you come to the conclusion that you know because my entrepreneurial path has led me to this, I'm going to write a book, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually, my first book came out in 2008. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, no, I know because I know what you're looking at some books yeah. that I started in 2012, but before that I actually wrote two devotionals. Right. Um, in 2008 and in 2007, I wrote two devotionals. One was for men and then one was for entrepreneurs. And then I wrote the next book in 2012, which was more sales oriented. Right. Um, but I can tell you whether it's 2012 or 2008, I just knew there was more to my story that more people needed to know. Right. And the biggest challenge that I had was doubting who would be interested in what I'd have to say. Oh, that one hits. That one touches yeah. me. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. That's the challenge for most people. So I tell folks now, I say, if I had listened to myself, to that little voice that said to me, who's, and it, it would torture me. Uh-huh. It was like, uh, well, why are you going to waste your time doing that? And it's going to take time away from your business. And in the end, if you get it done, this is a book. How are you going to promote it? You don't know anything about promoting a book and who's going to read it. And why would they want to read your book? You don't have anything that all these demonstrous, torturous thoughts. Yeah. Right. But, I knew that I was, I had more to offer. I knew I had more to give. Right. And you know what I realized? Two things that I realized this time. 
And anybody who's currently has the same thoughts, I, t- I tell them two things now. Because I've coached now 27 people who've written their first book. Wow. 27 people have written their first book. Wow. Uh, and they all had the same thoughts. So that's why I can relate to them. I say to them, look, for every ear, there's someone to hear your story. So don't be concerned about, I got nothing to share. For every ear, there's someone to hear your story. For every eye, there's somebody to read your story. Right. So don't uh, assume that there's no one out there that's gonna be interested in you. If you, Unless you've lived on a rock and have absolutely nothing of value, then probably not. Right. But if you already know there's something in you you need to share, it's because you've been through some stuff or you have some wisdom that you know you can pass on to somebody. So for every ear, for every eye, there's somebody out there to do it. And the second thing I tell people is, what if only one person reads your book, mm-hmm. but it changes their life? Right. You didn't make millions. You didn't become famous. One person read your book, but it goes on to change the lives of millions because they were impacted by the one thing you said. Would it have been worth it? And the answer always is yes. Right. When I wrote my devotional, I remember, I'll tell you a quick story. I was doing tours at different men's groups when I wrote my Common Man devotional book. Right. I bring my stack of books, people would buy. Talk, people would buy the book. Standard story of getting your books out there. So I remember I went to this church meeting and I, I was sharing, talking about the book and nobody bought a book. Nobody bought a book except one guy. And I, I remember driving home thinking, I'm a loser. <laughs> nobody bought my book. I gave them two hours of great stuff and nobody bought yeah, the book. Yeah. I thought, man, I suck. But I just kept going. One year later, the guy's name is Chris from New Jersey. We're, we're, and he says, now I got to tell you something, Jay. Your book changed my life. Wow. And I said, what book? He says, oh, man, I was, I was meeting. I was in New Jersey. I, I said, that's you? You bought the book? He says, yeah. I didn't know who bought the book because I wasn't at the table. The person, my helper was, I was just talking to people. By, but I know only one by one person bought a book, and it was Chris. And he says, your book changed my life, man. So at that moment, you know what I realized? It don't matter how many books you sell. Yeah. As long as the right people read the right book at the right time. Yeah. Like, that, that, that's really good because a lot of, um, as I'm talking and, like, getting to know, like, these people in my age group, right? In my generation, Generation Z is very weird in a way. Like, we are, we're, we're very more, we're more profound than a lot of other generations because we're filled with a lot more knowledge, right? Because of social mm-hmm. media. We have a lot of stuff at our disposal, right? And a lot of people now get more famous than they used to back in the day. It's very easy for someone to go viral or someone to become a lot more famous than even a regular celebrity. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed a lot of talking to my peers and stuff. Everyone is down on themselves because, oh, I won't get famous as that person. Oh, that person has more followers than me. And it doesn't matter because if I do this, they'll still just beat me. And it, and I'm like, and then always one thought comes to my head because those things come to me too. It's like, oh, I'm making a podcast, but no one's going to listen to it. What's the point? Like, oh, I made a few. Okay, 100 people listen to it, whatever. Like, I'm not, it it's, doesn't mean, oh, it's not in the top charts. Like, I'm not doing good. This is useless, waste of my time. But then it, something comes back to me. It's like, 
if you enjoy something, why stop it? And I remember going back and talking, like listening back to remembering when I was a kid and the only thing you used to hear is like, if you do a job and you enjoy it, it doesn't feel like a job. It doesn't feel like a chore. So why stop something you enjoy? So from that perspective, I want to ask you is because you said you've coached people writing a book and you've had that personal experience of writing a book and it's not gone like crazy popular or anything, right? What would you say to people like that? Like people who are down, uh, just thinking that because they have talent, but they think they won't get famous off of it, but they, but you think they should be doing it, right? Like, yeah, I, I think the question, and I, listen, I have had struggles with that too. It, you're not human if you don't have those struggles. Right. Especially today, you're absolutely right. One day you have uh, John Smith who puts up his first video or podcast and a year later, six months later, three months later, he's an overnight sensation, millions yeah. of views. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> right? And they're not even that good. So yeah. you kind of think about, man, what chance do I have? The and first you've been you doing have- it. And you've been doing it for 20 years. For right. someone who's already been doing it for like 20 years already. Right. Right. So uh, you have to remind yourself and not remind yourself, but initially ask yourself and then remind yourself, you have to ask yourself, what's the real reason I'm going to do this? Mm-hmm. Is it because I want to get famous and get a lot of likes, a lot of views, monetize my videos if it gets to be that much views? Uh, I want to be in the top 10 because this other person is in the top 10. Okay. Or is it because you've got something good that you want to bring to the world? Mm-hmm. You've got to decide what's more important. Now, if you are fortunate enough, you can bring your greatness to the world, help change the, the world, and make a lot of money at it too. Right. But that's not how you start. You start deciding what's more important. And I'll tell you a story, a, a quick one. When I struggled with that early on, when I was, uh, we're talking about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. I was like, oh man, I got to get those views. I got to get those likes. I got to get all the things that, that, that I was thinking about, similar to what I'm sure your friends think about too. So I said, you know what? A friend of mine says to me, look, you could always buy followers. You could buy views. You could buy that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? Instagram followers. I said, I got to get 30,000 Instagram followers, man. You're not even, you're a nobody unless you got 30,000 Instagram yeah. followers. So I went to this guy and I said to him, listen, help me market so I can get my 30,000. You know what he did? He said, no problem. He says, you got 2,000 bucks? I said, yeah, I got $2,000. He said, pay me 2,000 and I'll get you 30,000 before the next 30 days. I said, how are you going to do it? He says, you could buy them. So I said, you know what? Go for it. Within 20 days, I was up to like 19,000 followers. So I was on my way to be light and yeah. You know, social media rising star. But what I was connecting with, the followers were crap. Yeah. So they weren't fans. They were just paid followers of some sort. Yeah. I said to the guy, I don't do that anymore. I, I came, I think I, I deleted 15,000 of them yeah. because they were all whack jobs anyway. So I just said, you know what's more important for me? Getting famous on likes or focusing on value and content that eventually the right person at the right time is going to find my material if I've got good value. Because something that you're doing good, if you continue to do it good, eventually it has its heyday. Mm -hmm. Eventually it does. 
eventually someone will pick up on it or people will find that the value that you're trying to put out there. They're like, they'll see it. Yeah. Like, you ever hear of a guy named TD Jakes? No, I have not. TD Jakes is a famous, famous preacher around the world, but he's like one of these mega pastors. Yeah. Mega pastors in the US. Here's a 30 second story that's good for your listeners. He is probably the fourth or fifth or sixth most popular pastor now uh-huh. and makes gajillions of dollars, right? So all book sales, a whole deal. But when he was broke in Chicago, he would get up in his living room, uh, rather in his little rented small church uh-huh. that had no, no heating and no air conditioning. And he used to wear the same suit every Sunday and he would get up there and he had 12 or 15 people showing up to his service, but he was preaching. He was energized and on and on and on and on and on as if the place was packed. Mm -hmm. One day somebody went to his uh, service and they said, listen, I know somebody who's on cable TV. You should go on cable TV. So he spoke to somebody on cable TV, a little small station, unknown, and he had to actually pay to be on the station. So he's on the station going and going and going. He's recording himself. All of a sudden, a producer of a, of a, of like a a gospel style station happened to be flicking through the channels at two o'clock in the morning and heard him and heard him. And he said, who's that guy? And they said, well, he's just a guy, a little small little church in Chicago. Yeah. Called it the rest is history. Wow. That's luck. The rest is history. That it's luck and dedication. Like he for him as a person who's um been doing everything, you know, by the book and trying to like get every like trying trying to get his message out there, right? You know, even everyone has like that just goes to show you hard work pays off. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that I believe that hard work pays off. But and then and then you start to not believe it when you start seeing the stuff on social media these days. People get famous within a minute. It's like, well, okay. Or they're or they have no message. They're not showing you anything. They're showing you, they're showing you that you can jump off a bridge, jump into a lake, and or make fun of people on, on the streets or like irritate other people and you can get famous off that. I think I think it's it. I think the audience that they're bringing is great because people want to watch them do that, right? Mm-hmm. And other but I think at the end of the day, there's a niche market for everything and there's mm-hmm. a market for everything out there. That's correct. Listen, there's no shortage of something you could bring that somebody will watch. You could burn, you, you could light yourself on fire and somebody's going to come and watch you burn. Oh, <laughs> probably, mil- probably millions of people would come watch you burn. Gonna watch you burn. And then you'll be an overnight sensation. You get a million views. And what you did, you burned yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no shortage of people that are willing to watch something right it's just a matter of the something do you want that something to be quality or do you want it to be listen there's a guy that my son watches on youtube he's got i don't know millions of subscribers on youtube and all he does is he laughs at the funny videos that people send him and he posts them and he's up in the corner screen just laughing and commenting but all he does all day long is play other people's funny videos Uh and I mean, he's got millions of subscribers and most of these subscribers are kids. Yeah. 
It's that's PewDiePie probably hundred million. I don't know if you know who PewDiePie is. I know, yeah, yeah, hundred million on YouTube. That's ridiculous. That's yeah. one man show. But he, that man, I have to give him credit because he started. Same story. I don't know if you've ever heard of PewDiePie's story. It's kind of the longest no. lines. He was a he. His parents wanted to do engineering. He said no. He has a passion for making gaming videos. And so he, he has a passion for making gaming videos on YouTube and uploads them. At the start, he had no money. He was broke and his parents kicked him out. And so he's making YouTube videos in a little apartment, just like that's all he did. And I think he deserves what he got. That Absolutely. Man, he's the foundation of what YouTube stands for is you can work hard and you at some point you'll get to where you are. Look, who's, who's this guy on TikTok? Isn't there, there's, no, I'm not on TikTok, but yeah. I hear a lot about TikTok. And I actually have a guy coming on my radio show. Yeah. Um, Steve Corona, who's on TikTok, and he's, I mean, millions of people yeah. watch him. And uh, he, so now he's monetizing it. But, and, and if you ever, well, anyway, I won't say anything more than that. But there's some characters on TikTok, some some young teenage girl who's a who's a twit. Yeah. She's a twit. She does nothing of value, nothing yeah. of value. And she gets like 100 million TikTok followers. Oh, you mean Charlie D'Amelio, the D'Amelio family. Right, the D'Amelio yeah. family, yeah. She's yeah. the most famous, she's the face of TikTok, yeah. yeah. So her, if you watch her video, so she has talent in dancing, I guess. That's what people say. And so all she does is she'll stand there, drink a Starbucks, shake her hand like this twice, and get 100 million views. It's ridiculous. That, that's, that's it. That's all she does. And if you've listened, so her sister has an older sister, and her sister makes music. Her sister's music is probably mediocre at best like she doesn't even have a it's all auto-tune and there there are artists on that platform that have better voices better talent that will never get the views that she gets she is more famous than your rock stars like do you remember um oh those guys um part uh party party rock national anthem right yeah yeah, yeah she's yeah. more famous than them Wow, and those guys are crazy like right. rock, rock national anthem was a great song but she has more views than that song itself Within a year or two, like, and you, you wonder who would even care to watch that? Clearly, people that aren't interested in quality. Right? It's kids, right? Kids. Uh, we're, it's we're flooded. Social media is flooded with children on it. Mm-hmm. Even and that, like, you have to realize it's there's not that many people around. Are like as you get older, social media isn't the big platform that we're all because we're all trying to build our own platform, right? We're trying mm-hmm. to create our own things. People that actually give a care about putting out advice or listening to advice is very few on social media. It's spread with kids that just want to watch funny videos on the internet. Right. That's exactly correct. That's why if you come up with something of that is good, yeah. not only are you going to get the attention of serious people that, that have uh, you know a good reason to be on social media, yeah. follow you, and that's how you can monetize, but more importantly, make a difference. Right. None of those people on social media, they're not making a difference on anything. Exactly. But they're getting rich. They're getting they're rich. Getting rich. Uh, <laughs> rich. Money isn't everything, right? That's what yeah, I. Not exactly. Saying. That's what I was on, on my radio show this past Sunday. One of the things I talked about was you could be a, a, a millionaire, but at the end of the day, how? What are people going to remember remember you for? What are they going to remember you as? The guy who was rich but did nothing, yeah. or the guy that did a lot of good things because he changed lives. What's important to you? That's at the end of the day. So after your entertainment business, what did you go on doing? I actually, once I realized I wasn't going to be a big famous Hollywood star, <laughs> right. I uh, 
got a, I've got my licenses to do financial services work. Right. So then I built a, a financial services company from 1992, which I still have today. I yeah. still do financial services today. Wow. Um, that is a, a big part of what my, uh, my daily routine looks like. And, uh, but I still do the speaking, the writing, I still do the radio show. I still have a merchandise store, an online right. merchandise store that's fantastic. Um, but financial services was my pivot from the entertainment world. And I'm, I still do it today. That's amazing. Uh, could you talk a little about your motivational speaking and like uh, speakings that you do at different universities and churches and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. How has that experience been like for you? It's amazing because you get a chance to meet a lot of different people. Right. And at, at the end of the day, for me, what's, what's most energizing is when you talk to the folks afterwards, whether it's a, a college campus, which is a whole different type of talk, right. then if I'm talking to men, it's a very different kind of talk. Um, it's nice to have different people come up to you afterwards and they say, hey, thank you. Hey, I appreciate what you did. Hey, you said something that hit me right here. You said something I'm gonna uh, think about and implement in my life for the future. That's what's exciting that you're able to make that kind of impact, uh, no matter who the audience is. Right. Uh, that's the best part about speaking. Um, and you said uh, you you said you were while in your time in Hollywood. Who's the biggest star that you met and you might still have a connection with now? Oof. Al Pacino, because I did a couple of films with yeah. him. Uh, but I mean, it's, I, I'm a nobody to help. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a nobody. Um, and some other like John Cusack, I have more relationship with the guys on Broadway. Right. Because I lived in New York. Yeah. And, and so like, there's a few guys like Robert Cuccioli. Um, he, he's a big guy on Broadway. So him, I know I talk to him every yeah. couple of weeks, every now and then. Um, so more the Broadway actors than the Hollywood actors, which typically are very un- uh, unreachable. Although I am I'm early, early, early conversations yeah. with, uh, you know, Matthew McConaughey. Yo, love Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. I, so, I, did a, I did a face swap and it says I kind of look like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. I can see a little that. bit, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I can see people, that. People listen to podcasts don't know what I look like. So we're just going to say I look like Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, listen, you got me. I'll say it. I'll say it. you look like Matthew McConaughey, man. I'll say it. I'll say it. But yeah. <laughs> so he's... Uh, He's been doing a lot of uh, podcasts, a lot of interviews, because yeah. he's got his new book out, Yeah, um, which is a very, very good book. Do you so, think he'd talk uh, to me? Do you think he'd talk to me? I am curious. Uh, maybe you know, not. I, I, maybe not right now. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> in the future. Maybe in the, in future. the future. Listen, the guy, is, he's down to earth. Yeah. Uh, he's a nice guy. And uh, listen, if you put out there by intention that you want that kind of person on your show yeah. not only would you find him eventually eventually yeah but many many more like him so. um because they're down to earth people and he really is uh so i'm in the early stages of trying to figure out a way but you know the guy's the guy's famous actor he's yeah. got hundreds of interviews and oh, shows exactly. that he does yeah. so i may not get a chance for another who knows year i don't yeah. know oh so you did have a conversation with matthew mcconaughey well in that world is who you know that knows somebody. Exactly, yeah. So one of the guys that I know is a guy named Gronkowski. Uh, Gronkowski is a famous football player. Yeah. He, he was on my radio show. So Gronkowski knows a guy named Ryan Holiday, who's a good guy. If you can get Ryan on your show, that'd be fantastic. Ryan has a, um, a, website, a, a YouTube channel called The Daily Stoic. Okay. And he's awesome. So Ryan had Matt on his show. Yeah. So I'm lining up Ryan 
to come on my radio show. So once I line up Ryan, I'm hoping that he makes the introduction to Matt. Oh, I like so, I like the way you think. Yeah. That is that is the way to go. Yeah, brother. Yeah. So that could take some time, but again, exactly. it's all by intent. You really got to go out there and be intentional about it. Exactly. You it, it just takes time and it, it takes time and a lot of like energy and who you know it. At the end of the day, it's who you know. It's who you know. Who you know. Okay. Um, so your radio host, uh, your radio show that you've talked about, could you tell us a little bit about, about it and like how's that, how, that, how that started up for you and how's that going? Yeah, well, the, the, the show itself is just another, um, it's another expression of, of who I am. Right? Right. Um, if you read about me in the books, if you see me speak, if you know my life, you say, okay, the radio show makes sense. That's the next evolution uh, of Jay's career. So the radio show I started last year is just, I could say by chance, but nothing is really by chance. If you put your intentions out there into the world, you may not know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Right. So I just happened to be on Facebook and I get an instant message from someone who I thought was punking me. Uh-huh. She was talking about uh, a radio show and I was like, yo, okay. <laughs> so as I responded to her, I figured she was trying to sell me advertising. Yeah. And she actually wasn't. She was uh, part of a program director board for the radio station out here. Um, and that big, big uh, radio station in Dallas. Yeah. So when I realized, hey, this lady's pretty serious. She's already looked at my videos. She, she's seen me uh, and heard me speak. Let's see what this is about. And I had done radio back in New York years ago anyway, so I was right. pretty familiar with the format. So we spoke. She liked my content. She said, listen, we want to have a radio show that has a positive message. You're all about a positive message. And that's applicable. So I said, okay. And it's the, radio, the, the show itself, it's really, I think it couldn't come at a better time considering what's going on around the world, yeah. COVID and elections and, you know, all sorts of problems. Yeah. Uh, the message is a message about going from surviving to thriving in different areas of life, whether it's business, finance, health, relationship, parenting, entrepreneurial life. It's how do you learn the skill sets in order to go from this place of struggle mm-hmm. to success? And the show's been, it's been a hit. That's, that's amazing. And what kind of guests do you have on that? Or do you, are those, are those guests brought to you by the show, uh, radio or do you find them yourself? I recruit all the guests. Okay. That's pretty. pretty Every person who's been on the show, uh, I've purposely gone out. Either I met them or I met them through somebody else. Uh, so right now this, I'm tomorrow I'm recording. That's why Wednesday I'm recording a show with a pretty high level military guy um, who basically I just connected with him on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, Hey, this guy looks like a pretty solid guy. Yeah. So I said, Hey, how'd you like to be on radio? So when they looked me up, they realized, Oh, this guy's for real. This is a radio yeah, show. Exactly, yeah. So then we talked and he's a great guy and he's going to talk about mental health and all sorts of stuff that military is, is uh, has his challenges with. Yeah. It, military has a lot of challenges with mental health. I'm sure about it, and, oh, yeah. and there's a lot of stereotype against the military for against mental health, and it's t- tough to go around it. Especially in the real world, we still have people still have stereotypes about mental health, which is sad. We, even though we're, we've come such a long way in, in that process of you know helping. Well, to, that. To, two of the guests that I I, I had my fingers crossed that I, I yeah. believe will find their way to me is that the the singer Camila Cabello. Camila Cabello. Wow, so good. She's great. So she's someone who's confessed that she's struggled with mental um, 
mental illness. She's a voice for mental illness. Yeah. So I want to I want to see if I can bring her on and because she you, openly talks about it. If you get Camila Cabello, so does that mean that I know you and then I can get Camila Cabello? <laughs> Bro, why not? <laughs> that would be why amazing. Not? Why not? Right. Why not? So there's another another um, actress out here named Taraji Henson. Right. Uh, she's also launched a radio show, talks about mental health because she has some challenges. I think either her or her family, she dealt with it. Yeah. So these are all people eventually I'm going to reach out to and bring them on the show because you can't thrive if you are challenged with a mental illness of some type. Exactly. It's it's tough, um, especially for students like us, right? Just as a little perspective, uh, going through university and now because it's online, uh, we're engineering students, but we're already struggling. But now we're <laughs> even more struggling online. Right. We're just, and it's tough because a lot of portion of university life is learning to connect with people and it's learning mm-hmm. to make friends, lifelong friends. It's learning to build a community. It's learning to talk to professors. It's learning to live. It's, it's about living. We're not living anymore. We're just surviving. That's what we're trying to do at this point. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's tough. And mental health has been a big uh, talk in our community in engineering and in the, in the university life. It's, it's important because I'm sure a lot of people are st- struggled with it that had it before. And it's getting probably worse during this time. And, and it's been a year. We're almost approaching a year of COVID and homeschooling. It's, it's ridiculous. And I think that mental health is more important than ever. And I had a... Uh, earlier in my podcast, his name is Dr. Abdul Rahman. He's very big in Manitoba where I live. And I had a conversation about mental health and he just says like, yeah, we just have to start working. And if people that are, you know, mentally ill and need help, they should reach out to people. And it's definitely a big part of our lives now. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's going to be probably that way for at least the next six months. Yeah. At least the next six months. So I don't think you guys in in university are going to be able to go back to a classroom setting for this school year. I don't think, uh, so I was talking to one of my professors and he doesn't think we'll be back until January next year. So 2022. Yeah, I believe that. I'll be be done a third of, I'll be done half my degree. I'll go back being done almost three quarters of my degree, which it is what it is, but you know, we're trying safety before anything. Right. Well, exactly. And so as a, as at, at the end point, what kind of advice would you give to people of any age that are trying to start up an entrepreneurial spirit or trying to build up uh, that entrepreneurial spirit? Because a lot of people want to build up a business and become more entrepreneur. What kind of advice would you give to them just to start up that? How, how should they go about it and what could help them? Well, I would tell them three things. Number one, you got to get crystal clear on what business or what service you're going to offer when I say crystal clear, I don't mean on just the product itself. That's important. But crystal clear that the product or the service that you're doing identifies with who you are. So in other words, if you are engineering minded, if that's your identity, if you identify yourself as somebody who is strong in engineering work, you don't go open up a pizzeria. Right? Because right. you could, but are you going to be happy? It's not going to fall within your identity. Right. So your service and product or business you have to love it because it, it's who you are. It's, a, it's an extension of you, number one. Number two, I would say that you have to have a good plan of not only marketing, but also who can you get around you that's going to give you good advice so that when you're about to make a decision that can blow you up, 
they'll say to you, I've been there, done that. Don't go that way. Because mm-hmm. if you blow up, whether it's financially or emotionally or, or get so discouraged, sometimes you don't recover. Right. And there's plenty of people who've been blown up and they don't recover. Then they go back and go get a job. Right. right? And the third thing I would say is that expect that there's going to be setbacks. Right. It's not going to be a smooth ride. If you think that it's going to be peaches and cream, you're already setting yourself up for disaster, for failure. There will be setbacks where every time there's a setback, you can say, oh, there's one of those setbacks. I knew I was expecting that. Now the next one is going to be a setup for a comeback. I get it. But this one, setback. I got it. I'll deal with it. Because otherwise, man, it's like all of a sudden you get so pumped up with thinking everything's going to go smooth. And when you get two or three setbacks, which they will happen, now you're back to getting discouraged. And discouraged people don't stay at things very long. No. Disappointment. So expect disappointment is basically what you're saying. Right. Expect with a setback, it's going to be disappointing because who likes setbacks, right? Oh, I know. But if you expect them when they happen, you're able to bounce back. Right. Uh, so Jay, I really want to thank you for your time and I really get forward to knowing you and uh, being in contact with you and learning from you. And this has been such a good experience and a really big eye opener for me as a person who's been thinking of starting something. And it's, it's an amazing experience. I really appreciate you being on here and reaching out to me. And this has been really insightful for me. Hey, my friend, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. You got a great thing. Keep going. Don't stop. Okay. Uh, if I can just get my handles so people can have, uh, they want to yeah, follow me. That's of fine. course. Of course. Yeah. I, I will put it in my description. Also, I have your Wonderful. website open and everything that'll be in the description for people to follow. Awesome. Uh, you have a great message. Yeah, if you want, you can actually state your website right now and which handles to follow. Sure. Well, my website is djmamie.com. So the or the jmamie.com. They can go to my radio show, thejmamietalkshow.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. Just type in jmamie. You'll find me. Instagram is at thejmamie. Twitter is thejmamie. Awesome. And I'll put those in the description for uh, if you guys want to check it out and give him a follow. He's a great man and a lot of advice. Read his books. I, I'm sure going to read one of them and just to see what kind of insight I can get from them. So I really appreciate your time, Jay. Uh, right, thank man. you so much. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Good luck, brother. Good luck with okay. school. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to our weekly episode of Stability, the podcast hosted by Hassan Ashraf. For the latest news on Stability Podcast, please follow our Instagram at Stability Podcast or our Twitter at Stability underscore pod.